Hi, welcome to Friendly Reminder. Um, this is uh, this is Dan, guest hosting this week. Um, I'm here with my good friend, Gus. Say hi, Gus. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. What's going on? <laughs> what did you I, I am guest hosting and do, doing the best job that I can. <laughs> um, I'm, <laughs> I'm here. Gus, Sam, say hi. Hi. And we're here with our special guest, Eric. Eric, say hi. What's up? How's it going, guys? All right. This is a special Dan-hosted episode of Friendly Reminder. I'm going to try to keep the, the guys on track here. Uh, we have a special episode. We're going to be getting back to uh, old school Friendly Reminder, talking a little bit about the political situation. And then we've got a review of an anime coming up in the back half of the episode. Uh, so we're going to get started here talking about the recent voting law passed in Georgia uh, the Republican-controlled legislature there decided that uh, <laughs> basically they lost, so they need to change the rules uh, in order to make sure that they do not lose again. Uh, so they passed a a pretty extensive voting reform bill. Um, the Democrats have pushed back on this bill, saying this is the new Jim Crow, and it's pretty obvious what Republicans are trying to do here. They're trying to make it harder for them to lose elections to Democrats in Georgia uh, because they see it trending blue. Well, not even trending blue. They see it giving the Democrats the Senate, uh, which they did this last round. Uh, and they, they are desperately trying to stop it. So I'm just going to go over a few of the like general provisions of this law. And I'll say that the law is, you know, it's not nothing in the law is like, you know, this law, the purpose of this law is to prevent black people from voting or to prevent Democrats from voting. Um, but it's impossible to read all the provisions of the law together and think it has any other reason other than to make it, you know, a little more difficult for Democrats to win or a lot more difficult in some cases. Um, so I'll just go over some of these points. There, there's way too much in the law to go over every aspect of it. But uh, one of the big things it does is it increases the the Republican-controlled legislatures uh, control over the counties. So usually county officials uh, in a lot of states have a lot of um, leeway in how to run the elections within those counties. Uh, this basically says the legislature can, can overrule and decide, oh, we don't like the, how the county's running things and replace the entire county leadership in one fell swoop. Uh, so that's pretty... I mean, obviously, the, the theory behind that is during the pandemic, the, the legislature thought that the counties w made it way too easy to vote <laughs> for Democrats. So they they want to be able to check those liberal county officials. Uh, one of the other things they do is they lowered the number of absentee drop boxes available in the state from from this last year uh, when during the pandemic. Um, and it's now based on I believe it's based on per population but it's also per early voting site so they do this little trick where they're like oh it's per population but the truth is the bigger populous counties have fewer while they have a bigger population they have fewer early voting sites per person so they end up getting fewer vote boxes and hey it just happens that those bigger populous counties happen to be Demo vote democratic most of the time right because uh, they tend to be the urban counties 
they cut short the primaries and the length of early voting uh, for obvious reasons. Those were the, the main reasons they got their asses handed to them this last time is, is the extensive amount of early voting available. So they've cut that all short. Um, oh, one thing about the drop boxes is they're no longer available 24-7, which sort of defeats the purposes of drop boxes. They're now, they're now just located inside uh, polling sites. They're not allowed to be located outside, and they're only available during normal business hours, which, again, defeats the purposes of drop boxes to a certain extent. Um, they're, they shortened, they cut in half the amount of time you have to absentee, to request a ballot for absentee voting. Uh, making it more difficult, they added a lot of. Um, they added a bit more security onto how individuals who vote absentee. I think they have to go get an affidavit, I believe, in order to uh, identify themselves for the purposes of voting. So that becomes, you know, more difficult. You you actually have to go out and get an affidavit in order to in order to vote. And uh, instead of uh, you know just voting by mail, you have to physically go to a location. Um, the the biggest restriction. I'm actually honestly a little shocked they did this because it's the most sort of bad faith. Like, why would you ever do this? And that's they made it illegal to give anybody food or drink that's waiting in line at a polling place. <laughs> like, I can't. I I can't even imagine what like what. Yeah. So, what other reasons would you have to do to do that? Uh, well, what's the reasoning? The the reasoning is that it buys votes, right? Which is absurd. <laughs> it's like you're going to vote, you're waiting in line for hours. Somebody gives you water, you'll be like, "Oh, I'm going to vote Democrat." Yeah. You're like, <laughs> Ooh, this sweet <laughs> slice of pepperoni pizza. Oh, so this is social distribution. I think what they're trying to do is that they're they're lengthening the lines. But by not providing water and food, not not many people will be as patient and staying in line. Yeah, people will leave because they'll be like, this is taking forever. And by the way, all the other rules make it so that the lines get longer. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, that's not that's not all they did. They did a, a bunch of other stuff. Uh, they limited the use of mobile voting sites. Uh, for example, Fulton County in 2020 used two buses that they were using as mobile voting sites to make it easier to bring bring the vote to communities that may have had a hard time uh, coming out. Um, you know, they made it easier for any Georgia voter to challenge another individual's qualifications to vote, <laughs> which I find. Really? Yeah, I, it, it was always it was I think it was always a law, but they've made it. I think you were only limited to challenging a certain number of people's qualifications, so they uncapped it so you can challenge unlimited people's votes. And that's, I assume, to set up some sort of strategy where they're getting ready to challenge, you know, mass challenge thousands of people who they think might vote Democrats in order to get them wow. kicked off the polls. They also, um, they gave new powers to the state election board, which is currently Republican-led. Um, they can uh, suspend uh, county and municipal superintendents based on quote-unquote performance or violation of election board rules um and after suspension they can appoint temporary replacements yeah, <laughs> oh yeah i think uh, sorry i think i described that as the legislature doing that but yeah they they basically just want to be able to assert much more control at the county level um so the democrat reaction has been strong uh, basically saying, look, it's obvious what they're doing here, calling it, you know, from the top, calling it things like, I think 
Biden called it Jim Jim Crow turbocharged, right? And he's got a point. Jim Eagle. Uh, is that what he said? Jim, Jim Eagle. It, it makes Jim Crow look like Jim Eagle, which I'm not sure entirely makes sense. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> okay. I'm sure he thought that was clever. Um, but wouldn't this be Jim Eagle? I don't understand. Never mind. I, I, uh, guess, I guess Crow is bad. Eagle is good. So this makes Jim Crow look good in comparison. Right. Which that, also that's the thing that I didn't want to say. Like, it seems, even though it affected many people, Jim Crow laws, it sounds much worse. Because <laughs> it seems like it's affecting many more people than just minorities. I mean, I don't want to go, you know, I don't want to be like, you know, Jim Crow was great. We should go back there. I'm not, that's definitely not my position. I'm not, that's all I'm trying to say, but. You're saying it could possibly affect more people than even, even Jim Crow did. Which, yeah. 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 I mean, I, yeah. Either way, it's just, it's disenfranchisement. It's an attempt to um, get rid of some votes and favor other type of votes. Um, There's this awesome game that Republican pundits have been playing where they're like, it's okay not to have everybody vote. I mean, really should everybody vote? There's a lot of people who are dumb. Uh, Okay, but they're it's sort of like, hey, but you're you just happen to be disenfranchising the people who are voting for the other party mostly. <laughs> so it's not like I mean, you know, they might be trying to turn this into some philosophical discussion about the right to vote, but it's like one, n- nobody agrees with you. <laughs> I mean, we shouldn't agree that some people should not have the right to vote, um based on group, and two, uh you're sort of giving away the game when you say stuff like that, because supposedly Republicans who actually pass this law are like, oh, no, it's not about disenfranchising people. It's about making sure the elections are secure, et cetera, et cetera. And they want to make the point it's not racism, um, which is funny because when you go back to the Jim Crow laws, none of those were explicitly about racism either. None of them had any explicit racial component to them. They were all neutral on their face. You know, it was things like poll taxes. Everybody had to pay a poll tax or everybody had to pass a literacy test. And they made it just made it up to the discretion of the individuals giving the literacy test to decide. And then they would exempt people whose grandparents could vote (laughs) from the literacy tests and the poll taxes. And all that was all just a proxy for race. Right. Or and uh, in order to to gain power. So, uh, you know, people think back to Jim Crow and they think, oh, it was just these explicit laws that made it hard for black people to vote. But no, it was much sneakier than that. And, you know, why do you think they'd be any less sneaky now (laughs) than than they were back then? I actually think the Republicans did something fairly genius in in that they also threw in there like an expansion of early voting in most counties. Mm -hmm. I think they extended it from 17 to 22 days, uh, which it kind of gives them an argument to be like, see, we're making it easier to vote. And even when there was a comparison to when the MLB moved their all-star game to Colorado, a lot of Republicans were like, well, Georgia's early voting is longer than Colorado. So voting is easier in Georgia um, because it's a way for them to hide all the other terrible shit that they did in terms of drop boxes, uh, the state election board having more power, uh, ID being required, not just an in-person voting, but also by mail. You need a uh, proof of identification, which is nutty. It's no longer just a signature um yeah those are all the real issues i mean early voting is great but uh it's this this bill at large still undermines 
quite a few votes. Yeah, I'm in favor of the expansion of early voting. <laughs> I agree with that. Yeah, it's like it's just the, all the other stuff. So let's be honest here. Okay, we all know that illegal voting is happening every minute of every day, and there's millions of people illegally voting. It's an epidemic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The biggest one we've ever had. Yeah. And we've never seen nothing like it. It's happening right now. They're just voting for no one in particular. <laughs> but it's just, it's going too far. And they did that before, and they're not going to stop anytime soon. Well, that's the thing that you mentioned the MLB. There's a big, there's a, there's a pretty sizable pushback on this law coming from, like, for example, corporate America coming out and saying MLB doing the the strongest move, which is they moved their all-star game from Atlanta to uh, Colorado, which you mentioned, Gus, uh, which is, they were like, this law is bad, so we're moving the game. And then there was a huge outcry from conservatives basically being like, out, boycott the, the you know, boycott baseball, boycott Coca-Cola, boycott all these companies for trying to participate in free speech. Oh. And then Mitch McConnell came out and said... <laughs> And said, uh, I'm not interested in all these companies interested in, in, in expressing their political opinions. And then he added, I, I of course, don't mean contributions. <laughs> because his goddamn name is in uh, McConnell versus FEC is the big one of the big cases before Citizens United that made it e easier for corporations to speak and donate money as much as they want. And now they're like, yeah, these corporations need to stay out of politics. It's it's. It's pretty friggin' hilarious, but uh, I, I definitely want to call something out because this is all uh, being done under the guise of cancel culture um, and woke corporations, um, specifically when MLB moved their um, all-star game from Georgia to to Colorado. Uh, but the irony here is that now conservatives are asking um, their their supporters to cancel everything or to boycott everything. I want to read out what Donald Trump um uh, asked their, uh, his supporters to do. Uh, he wants to. He wants them to boycott Major League Baseball, Coca Cola, Delta Airlines, J.P. Morgan Chase, Viacom CBS. I'm not done. Citigroup, Cisco, UPS, and mm -hmm. Merck. So you know we're, bo it, we're boycotting the whole economy here. Yeah, Can cancel the uh, your bank account, cancel your most recent uh, plane trip, cancel all your favorite shows uh, by CBS, uh, cancel your delivery because yeah, you need to cancel um, UPS as well. So you get rid of all of that. Yeah, but he's telling us to stop drinking soda. And he drinks Coca Cola, by the way. He likes he likes his diet oh. Coca Cola, so I doubt he'll quit that. This, I guess this, it's Pepsi from now on. You know, this does connect to kind of a broader issue, which is to say this whole like fake, real, can't really tell this whole fake Republican anti-woke corporate culture thing. So somehow the corporations all turned liberal, I guess, is the the, <laughs> the theory behind this is that everybody in corporate, it, it, it really, it doesn't make much sense to me. Maybe it does. I mean, I get it. The people in corporations, they all tend to have college degrees. So they all tend to be, you know, sort of liberal in that regard. And so as they rise up, they become, you know, to the extent they believe in sort of the democratic principles, whatever that may be, the woke stuff or whatever, they impose it in their corporations, which that's that's not like an unwieldy theory, but also 
what the hell does it have to do with this voting law? Like, like that, it, it doesn't really make any sense to me. And it seems like just a way to sort of have your cake and eat it too. Like you're, you love deregulating and letting these, letting the companies get away with whatever. But the moment they do something that you're, you're not happy with, it's like, Oh, we got to, we got to crack down. And, and it's the same thing with like Facebook and Twitter. They're, they're like, conservatives who pretend to care about free speech so much are like yeah we need to regulate to make sure that we don't get uh you know to make sure that we don't get banned on social media for spreading misinformation we need to force them not to ban us by law um well and, and i mean let's be honest there 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 are nobody is actually going to boycott these these corporations they're not actually going to do the effort to stop drinking coca-cola or not get their delivery from ups that is far too inconvenient for for anybody to actually do um this is just fake outrage this is just an ability to to uh, create victimhood and be like we're the victims here these woke corporations are the ones that are harming us we're just trying to do quote-unquote voting reform uh and they just want to uh, put in their liberal agenda or force their liberal agenda on us us uh that's that's really what's what's going on here just to create outrage and to you know fire up the base to to show up when an election comes around yeah except when they give money to them yeah uh i was gonna say yeah i did read an article on how conservative boycotts rarely take root because they tend to be kind of (laughs) half-hearted i mean i mean like and the problem is uh, you know going back to the trump era it was just too much like boycotts only work when you have like one target or a couple of targets and you're like concentrated on focusing on them (laughs) but the problem like (laughs) everything exactly he would just tweet out randomly like i you know you you listed all those things and i was looking at this article he wanted to boycott Geico. Does everybody remember that? The famous Trump Geico no. boycott? No. Because, again, if you just boycott everything, you can't boycott anything. <laughs> so he just he just randomly tweets, we should boycott Geico. Maybe their stock takes a dip for a little while. Maybe some people cancel their accounts, and then everybody just forgets about it and moves on like everything else. So it doesn't work. <laughs> These boycotts don't work. Uh, so one thing we haven't even mentioned, which I'm surprised about, is the big lie. Uh, the idea that the election was stolen from Trump based on, you know, there's different versions of it, but Trump basically said that there's thousands of fraudulent votes going on that that cost him in the election in these states. Uh, we have not mentioned that because there's no reality to it. But the fact is, to the extent we're arguing against this law, you, you can't hide the fact that the Republicans who are supporting this all believe that the election was stolen and that this will go some way to counteract those effects. So we're already seeing sort of the consequences of, of the big lie that we we talked about and, and that will be with us forever, to be honest. We're going to see these restrictions going on and using the big lie to justify it in one way or the other. They can't use that lie to justify it in any like formal setting because, again, there's no evidence for it. So they can't like like... But I mean, that doesn't stop state legislatures and pundits on on the news and and less reputable news sites from pushing it and pushing this is the solution. Um. So in the end, it's really not surprise surprising that you know the the big lie about Trump having the election stolen was really just to set the stage for all this all these restrictions. 
on voting. Yeah. I mean, I think Trump also wanted people to believe it and to uh, make him dictator. But Republicans are OK with pushing it because they know that this is a good excuse to to keep pu- putting these um these quote unquote voting reforms to correct quote unquote irregularities that they haven't actually even uh, proven are are real. Exactly. Um, so moving out of moving out of the state realm for a little bit, going into to what's going on in the the federal realm right now. Um, let's see, Joe Biden. I believe recently introduced a uh, infra or Democrats introduced a, a very large infrastructure spending plan. Um, <laughs> I believe Joe Manchin has walked back. You know, I think we talked maybe a couple of weeks ago how he kind of dipped his toe into oh, talking filibuster reforms where you have to talk to keep the filibuster open. But I think he's walked that back. I guess you read a op-ed by Joe Manchin in. The Washington Times, and you can tell it's going to be a good op-ed from Joe Manchin because it's in the Washington Times. But I believe he's completely walked back from from the the idea of using the filibuster, and even walked back a little bit from using um, reconciliation. Yeah, uh, to pass things. Yeah. Um, so let me just real quick cover the the two trillion dollar proposal proposal that Joe Biden uh, put forth in regards to infrastructure. Um, it Again, this is separate from the $1.9 trillion COVID relief that just passed recently. Uh, this is dedicated to infrastructure. I do believe it covers a, a period of eight years, so it's not as immediate as, as the COVID relief. But just some of the basics are $115 billion to repair uh, and rebuild bridges, highways, and roads. $100 billion to expand high-speed broadband across the country, $100 billion to upgrade and build new schools, um, $100 billion to expand and improve power lines and, and spur a shift to clean energy. Uh, I'm reading an NPR uh, article with, with these figures. It also puts uh, uh, more emphasis in uh, electric vehicles and expanding, um, giving incentives to state and local municipalities to build an electric infrastructure to, to charge electric cars. Uh, it provides tax incentives for individuals to purchase an, an electric vehicle. Um, on paper, it all sounds great. You can argue whether it's enough or it's too much or not enough, uh, but it's it sounds like a pretty ambitious infrastructure plan. Uh, but as you mentioned, Daniel, yes, uh, Joe Manchin did put an op-ed uh, indicating that he not only is he... Go- Obviously, this was always his position. He does not want to get rid of the filibuster, but also now he doesn't back any kind of reform. So he doesn't back uh, the walking filibuster uh, or the talking filibuster, I'm sorry, uh, or any kind of um, reform that would weaken the filibuster even a little bit. And there is language in that op-ed saying that he doesn't favor reconciliation over regular order. I'm not entirely sure what that means. I'm I'm not sure if that's him saying he's not going to vote for a bill using reconciliation ever again, or if he's, you know, if he's okay with Biden and the Democrats kind of doing the song and dance thing where they present the bill to the Republicans, the Republicans say no, and that Joe Manchin is okay voting and using reconciliation. That's unclear. It remains to be seen, but he... That would seem to match his prior behavior a little bit. Right. So... Right. That is what he did with with the COVID relief package, which he did vote for. And the Democrats did use reconciliation Um, on top of that. 
uh, just recently, the great Senate parliamentarian casted upon us her decision to allow the Democrats, if they want to, to use reconciliation two more times this year, uh, which I actually do want to clarify because I mentioned in this podcast before that reconciliation can only be done once a year. Um, that is the case under certain circumstances. In this year, the Democrats were uh, previously were able to use it twice. One for the fiscal year of 2021, because the prior Congress never used it for this year, and one more time for the fiscal year of 2022. Uh, but the Senate parliamentarian um, now said that the Democrats can use it again as a revised budget proposal in 2021. So in total, they can use it three times this year if they choose to. It's confusing. It doesn't make any sense. I don't know who the Senate parliamentarian person is, but apparently she's the most powerful person in the world, right? Right. We all remember voting for her in November and putting her in power. Yeah. Um, oh, God, it's not Marjorie Taylor Greene, is it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> no. <laughs> Surprise. Um, God damn it, Joe Manchin. What the hell? <laughs> uh, I mean, like, did he... It, I, is, this a, is this movement unclear i guess not he's kind of i feel like he's just the kind of guy who bounces back between the two like positions all the time so you can never really say that he's moving on anything he's just always kind of i think in his mind it's his power move oh, yeah, yeah for sure i agree I, I think he likes to have the leverage um because uh, his his reasoning doesn't make any sense. Literally in the op-ed, he put that uh, that the Capitol riots or the insurrection changed him, um, and that's that's why he's so for bipartisanship, which to me is like absolutely ridiculous. It's like these Republicans are making excuses for the insurrectionists now. They're saying literally Ron Johnson said that they they love America and he never feared for his life because they knew he knew in his heart of hearts that they would never hurt him because they're they're God fearing American loving individuals. And Joe Manchin is like. Well, these people wanted to kill me, and the Republican Party is making excuses for them. Now is the time for bipartisanship. Like, come on, dude. <laughs> what the fuck? It's unbelievable. Okay, okay. Let me play let me play a little bit of Mansion's advocate here. He could mean look at this country, like we're we're at each other's throats. We need to be a little more bipartisan. But okay, now that I've played mansion's advocate what the hell does that have to do with the filibuster like like is he does he really <laughs> think the filibuster is what keeps us all united like that that's the problem with this well this maybe theory and the problem is like it's always putting the pressure on the democrats to be the bipartisan ones like the republicans are the ones that are showing like a tremendous amount of partisanship to the point that they're okay with people in the senate and the house dying um just so they can make excuse for their supporters uh shouldn't the onus be on them i mean uh, the infrastructure bill is just like the covid uh the covid bill according to the polls, is highly supported by the vast majority of American people. It gets also like 70% of, of support. Um, shouldn't the onus be on the Republican Party to come to the table and say, you know what, the people are for this, even our uh, Republican constituents are for this, get at least five Republican votes. We get zero in the Senate and zero in the House. I mean, 
they're the partisan ones. Why should the Democrats have to suffer and have to come, you know, compromise over and over again just because of Joe Manchin's stupid ass logic? (laughs) Although, again, to be fair, to be totally fair to Manchin, because that's what Friendly Reminder is all about, is being totally fair to Joe Manchin. (laughs) Friend of the pod, Joe Manchin. He's he's in a plus 40 Trump GOP state. Nobody knows what the hell the West Virginians want. <laughs> it's all he doesn't seem to know, yeah. except they really love the filibuster, apparently. Um, just to be fair to Joe Manchin, like it, it, his reasoning may not make any sense to anybody, uh, but he's kind of just in a in a very unique place in terms of uh, being the only Democrat, apparently, who can win in like a plus 40 Republican state. So. I always want to give him a little bit of leeway in that regard. Yeah, but I mean, if this was like a defunding the police proposal, I would get that. You know, even maybe even voting reform, I would. I which is still again, it's necessary, but I would still get that because I bet you that it would be a little bit more contentious in terms of the uh, electorate. You're right. I guess I you know I haven't seen a West Virginia poll. I don't think ever in my life, uh, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's like ten people living there. I'm kidding. I'm sure it's a it's a beautiful state, but. Uh, Still, like, if you look at the support at large, it still feels like it would be a winner for Joe Manchin, or at the very least probably wouldn't hurt him that much if he was just... Mm-hmm. Again, I'm just talking about reconciliation. I'm, yeah. I've long lost the, the filibuster. Yeah, I've long lost the fight in terms of the filibuster, unless unless uh, Democrats can win some seats in, in the midterms, which... Well, I got uh, really excited when Manchin floated the idea of a talking filibuster like a couple of weeks ago but apparently that was not real (laughs) or not legit what was that exactly was that like was that the rule where the filibuster is allowed to speak like as once he stops speaking then that's at this at the end of the filibuster's turn exactly so right now republicans or democrats can filibuster a bill just via an email basically Uh, saying we we're refusing to vote for cloture <clears throat> or whatever and that stops the bill from proceeding at all if 40 stop me if i'm wrong but if 40 senators all sign on then nothing can go forward right okay. a talking filibuster would force them to yeah talk in order to stop the bill from going forward and as soon as they stop talking or you know when we're unable to give relief or, or have another senator continue the talking then they would the bill would proceed to a vote. And the idea behind that would be putting real cost, you know, not uh, admitting that the filibuster is a a legitimate thing, but saying that it should really cost people or be hard to do and shouldn't just be like as simple as clicking clicking send on an email saying we're not voting for cloture on this bill. Um, Gus, I I have a note here about uh, Joe Biden's uh, budget and how how you wanted to say maybe say a few words on it and then we wanted to maybe talk about the military spending part of the budget which is sadly sadly bigger than trump's uh, well actually i don't know is it bigger than trump's military spending gus tell me i mean it is it in he's he joe biden is not cutting military spending which i think is what i would want at least or not suggesting that there be cuts in fact he's increased military spending to i believe it was Almost eight hundred billion, Gus. You can correct me if I'm wrong here, but this is like the Joe Biden is not doing anything to 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 stop the sort of bipartisan military state from from going forward. And Gus, you can correct me if any of those specifics are wrong, because 
before uh, before you say anything, look, I gotta say this because we all know it deep in our heart. Everyone's fighting against America. We need the strongest, most badass military to fight off the invaders. USA. Yeah, we gotta fight off the Chinese. We gotta fight off uh, the Russians, uh, the Iranians. We gotta fight off the Spartans. We gotta fight off the Spartans, the North Koreans, the the Mexicans. Let's not forget about the Mexicans. The Iranians. Uh, The Atlantans. Did you guys see Aquaman? Those guys are scary. Yeah. (laughs) Loki's (laughs) army, you know, Iron Man warned us. Um, Yeah, so you're not wrong, Daniel. Um, There, I. Joe Biden did propose his budget. Um, it's a pretty big budget, uh, annual budget, I believe about about like 1.5 trillion, not counting the infrastructure spending. Uh, yeah, def- so defense spending remains more or less flat. It's an increase of 2%, but 2% does amount, amount to pretty much close to $800 billion. Um, now, I do also wanna say that this budget also does significant uh, increases to or proposes significant increases to education um 41% increase there uh 23% increase for health and human services 21% increase to the EPA um 28% increase to commerce uh so there are domestic programs uh, better programs in, in my opinion that are getting a significant increase here but uh, a lot of progressives are upset, I think rightfully so, that there's no significant cuts to, to defense spending. It remains flat, which again, flat still means approximately $800 billion. It is more than um, Donald Trump's um, budget last year. Uh, again, 2% more, but that amounts to $11 billion more than last year's budget for the Pentagon for defense. I don't know. I mean, it's it's tough tough for me to come to a certain conclusion. I'm happy with the domestic, uh, the budget spending more in, in domestic programs, but I think if, but I don't know. I like I, I don't really care about the deficit right now or the debt right now. Um, I just I would like to see defense spending being cut, just because I think that's something we need to rain back on because we're we're drunk on defense spending we're we're doing unnecessary spending and of course there's very dire ramifications that going on around the world that's kind of our fault my um grandma when she was alive she had this um it's not a poster it's just like a piece of paper saying the day that our education system gets all the funding it needs and the day the Air Force has to use a bake sale to buy bombers, the day that I want to, it's the day that I want to see. And I think that's what I 100% agree with that. Has has Joe Biden, like, has the administration answered any questions as to why they, they came out with this budget? Are they just like, oh, yeah, it's just the normal sort of year-over-year increase? Like, clearly there's an anti-war, anti-military spending faction on the left in this country. Uh, you know, uh, Bernie Sanders called for a 10% cut on on military, on defense spending across the board, which I would have loved to see uh, not too long ago. Um, what, like, have they answered any questions about this? I didn't read too much, but do they have any comments on, on what? Because, I mean, there's obviously a lot of leftists out there feeling... Not necessarily betrayed, because to be frank, a lot of them 
kind of saw this coming with Joe Biden, but they're pissed off. Like they're not happy with this. And they definitely say like, what, what the fuck is even the point? If, if they're not even going to take our, our, not even close to taking our concerns seriously about the massive amount of military spending. I mean, I, I just don't know if they've, they've responded on or in any regard. I mean, I doubt any, you know, I doubt, I mean, call me skeptical. I might be wrong, but I doubt like most of the mainstream news sources were going to question them very, very skeptically on, on this. Uh, but I don't know. Did, did, did you see anything like that, Gus? No, I mean, the, the budget was just proposed yesterday, I believe. So uh, obviously, this is the proposed budget. Uh, this is what every presidency does. They present a budget. They send it to Congress. Congress ultimately decides on what the actual budget is. So there is going to be a debate um, soon in, in regards to this budget. I don't think let's be realistic, considering, you know, the previous budget debates in the past um, and how we always basically uh, are are at the verge of of you know shutting down the government now each uh, basically each year this budget is going to be changed dramatically by the time uh, it actually passes and and whatever passes is not going to resemble anything like this unless again i'm not sure if they can use budget reconciliation you would think I, I guess they could use budget reconciliation to just pass this entire budget as is but if not then it's going to require 10 republicans to join which I think means that a lot of those domestic programs are going to go, um, the, the spending is going to go down significantly, but I have the feeling that defense spending will remain largely the same. Uh, Bernie Sanders, I believe, has said that he's, dis or I'm not sure if it's him or if he made a statement, but they have shown uh, signs that they're disappointed at the defense spending, but also they're, they're happy about the increases in domestic spending. Again, I don't know. Yeah, the the as you said, the budget presidential budgets tend to be kind of symbolic more than anything. Yeah. Uh, but you know what? What does exactly this symbolize? Then <laughs> that's the question. Um. Yeah. Speaking of uh, symbols that we're having trouble trying to decode, thought we could move on from politics and start talking about Fully Cooly Progressive, the anime that we all watched in anticipation. Of reviewing it on the podcast, guys. Uh, to start this off, I'll say that Fooly Cooly was an anime that came out, um, I believe it was in the early 2000s. And it was an anime we all enjoyed. Um, and I'll let other people give a little more background if they if they want to. But uh, Fooly Cooly Progressive is sort of a sequel to that anime. Uh, the original anime was about a young boy it was sort of a coming of age story, but in like a very like, okay, he lives in a small Japanese town, but also there's like aliens and wacky stuff happening. And he meets a girl on a Vespa who, who plays guitar and, and there's robots and there's not really a quick way for me to summarize what Fully Coolie is about because it's pretty complicated. Um, that does not change for this sequel. Uh, but I think it's, it's, you know, it's a interesting place to start uh and i should warn um and i don't know we could do a, a spoiler only section but i think probably we want to just dive into spoilers right away because i don't know how you can talk about fully cooly without spoiling some of the issues so why don't we go ahead and say spoilers for fully cooly progressive from this point onward um and i'll toss it to sam to talk a little bit about 
uh, Fooly Cooly and Fooly Cooly Progressive, the relation between them and, and what you thought of the animes. Thanks, Dan. Um, so, yeah, uh, I think it was actually just in 2000 that this that the first one came out. And back then there was this little program called Toonami, if anyone remembers that. I think that's where we all first watched it, or it was Adult Swim, one or the other. I think it was Adult Swim. Um, yeah, it was probably Adult Swim. That's right. And when we watched it, it was just... We were confused by it, I believe. <laughs> but I think the point of Fooly Cooly isn't only really to be simple. It's to make you think about things, and it's... It's there to to make you laugh also, mostly just to think about things. And for when fully, honestly, when I heard that they were making a sequel, I was I was like, I'm not gonna watch this. This is gonna be terrible. It's gonna ruin fully coolly. I was just thinking about what the prequels did to me, which in all honesty, I based pretty much like ninety percent of how I watch sequels based on the or not sequels, but uh, movies before or after the original. I base everything off of the the prequels, and I know I shouldn't, but um, I was afraid this was this was going to ruin Fully Cooly for me, and it didn't actually. I think it's as good as the original for Progressive, uh, just as confusing, but also just as a just as amazing. Um, it's telling in more. <laughs> I think in the original Fully Cooly, there was a little bit of a love story. But I think the one that, this one is more defined um, as far as love stories goes. Between Ida Kun and I can never pronounce her name, Hibiji, I believe her name is. And she's the main character. Um, yeah, she's the main character. You know, and she's she's a very quiet person. Uh, she has these great headphones on that I want to buy that have cat ears on them. I'm making a thing on the video, but no one can see me. <laughs> and, well, we'll get into the, the what I wanted to say a little bit later, but any other thoughts so far? Or? Well, Eric, yeah, I, I, I really liked it. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to ask you because I haven't heard your thoughts yet, so I wanted to know what you thought about the anime. I was pretty blown away too. I, uh, when Sam and I watched it recently, that was the first time I'd seen it. I'd never seen it before. Not not progressive, anyways. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was just as wacky and random as the first series, as FL, FLCL. Um, just with new a new protagonist, and it still is sort of like a coming of age. Like there's a lot of, and I remember in the original there was a lot of um, innuendo of like going through puberty and noticing girls and stuff like that. There's a lot of tension, that kind of tension. Um, and there feels it feels like there's a lot of that, maybe even more so in this one. It's very direct, like Sam pointed out, that the, the, the love interest is way more apparent in, in, in progressive. I mean, did, did you guys think? What did you guys think of the character relation? The two main, what, what were the, the guy and the girl again? Hibiji and Ivekun. I don't, I don't, I'm not sure if that's correct. Let me look that up real quick. Yeah. No, but you're right. I think, I, I think with the original Fully Cooly, um, 
there was that uh, Nacha and Mamimi. Yeah, Mamimi. Right? But I, I don't. I, I don't think it was ever fully defined as romantic. As more as it no, was, that like, was with 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 the actual pink hair girl. Uh, yeah, because that that, that was the, the thing. It was it was almost like kind of like a little dad, right? like a little love triangle. Um, but I don't think it was ever defined as fully romantic. I think it was more like sexualized, like Nauta and and what is it? M- M- what's what Mimi Mimi from the original one it was more of a sexual relationship of this older girl kind of hitting on this younger which kind of sounds a little gross right now yeah a really young boy because he was the little brother of her true love interest um who went to america so i don't think there was ever like a really like overt romantical angle in the first one whereas this one it is very obvious uh, you know uh, these two individuals that really care for each other uh and want to be together and and spoiler alert they are together by the end they they share a nice kiss at the end yeah, um yeah. so ah, but do they kiss it cuts away right before they actually you know smooch yeah i don't care um <laughs> 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 whatever happens i'm happy for them um i think I've, I've been thinking a lot about my feelings or my thoughts about this um, um the, this new version of fully coolie i like it Overall, I think I, I really like it. I, I was happy that it shared that same spirit. Um, it it didn't lose any of uh, any of the kind of innocence, but also uh, flamboyance, um, craziness uh, to it. Uh, happy to report that the pillows still rock. Their their music is yes. still excellent. Oh, oh, the yeah, music yeah. is so I good. The music yeah. is yes, so good. It is amazing. It and like, there's a it's on Spotify, I believe, too. It sounds like the pillows grew up, and they're still awesome. But it's it's a much more mature sound. It's it's an amazing soundtrack. The first track, the very first, the very first few minutes of the first episode were just outstanding. Yeah, I mean, I, I was happy with the music throughout the entire um, the entire season. Um, it is it is weird kind of going back to some of these shows much older than than what uh what i was when i first watched fully coolie i was in my teenage years when i watched fully coolie for the first time and kind of going back into uh, you know as an adult it's it's interesting to see my perception of things there there are things where i'm just a little like weirded out by i guess now that i probably wouldn't have been as a younger kid like i get the correct me if i'm wrong eric or sam or, or daniel but do they overflow because they get horny or they get that, like sexually excited? Like that's, that's the implication I, I saw uh, or I got. Yeah. That was, well, we assume the implication was way back then too. Yeah. 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 And, and <laughs> for, for the listeners, when I say overflow in, in the show, like when their quote unquote powers are coming out, I don't know where, what these powers are, but like shit comes out of their, their forehead when, uh, uh, and like robots come out and crazy stuff happens, but it seems to always be triggered by some sort of like, sexual that red power right yeah the red there's so i think what I, I think what is happening is each because like every time somebody gets hit with the with the with the bass right or the guitar if because the new the new the new alien space girl there's a new one that instead of riding a vespa she drives a car right and now instead of a bass guitar a transformer like a, car yeah and she has a fender jaguar and so anytime anybody gets hit in the head with one of those, I think it activates their their portal in their brain. 
and it, I think they call it Nen. I think that's what the power is called. That's that red power that that um, Adamisk. Adamisk is that big red bird god being the that pirate Haruko. King. Yeah, the pirate king. He's the pirate king that Haruko is in love with. Yeah, and I've... he has he has an excess of that power. And for the... that's why he's the pirate king. If I remember correctly, in, in the first one, Nauta temporarily harnessed his power, right? Like yeah. he kind of became yes. the pirate king for, for a little while, but yes. then at the end, he like cast it aside. Nauta is not in this. Yeah. I was kind of. Um, no. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I was actually glad this that is he in the future. I think this is after those events. Do you guys. Like the my theory is that he's the father that the uh the main character's mom is always mentioning the main character's mom they she started like a what is it like a coffee shop or some sort of thing like oh, a little cafe, cafe. And, yeah. and apparently like she she yeah she, she made it and she was always expecting the main character's dad to come back which you never got closure on you never actually found out what's what's going on with that That's i'm assuming true. they're implying that nauta is the father uh, yeah, and- I think that's not a correct assumption about it. Because also, she has the same power as she does. So, yeah, and oh, and there's similarities, and and like she acts like she would be his daughter. Like she she shares a little bit of his his traits. Um, yeah, yeah, his yeah, yeah. His but overall, I I did really enjoy it, and I'm. Uh, I feel better about this one than I feel about the Evangelion remakes, which I enjoyed some of those movies, but the last, I think it's the third movie that I watched, I didn't enjoy at all. Um, And I'm kind of fearful as to how they're going to end that. Maybe it'll be good. The the, the fourth and I believe final movie will be good, but the third movie left a really bad impression. Dude, that movie was so up its own ass. Like, uh, It It gave me nightmares, that movie. And I don't get nightmares from anime. I was so, not a fan. Just really quick on Fooly Cooly Progressive. Um, while I liked it overall, I'll say one thing, maybe maybe just being you know more mature than when I watched the first Fooly Cooly. I'll say the first two episodes of Fooly Cooly. So there's only six episodes. So it's not a long series. Uh, the first two episodes are a little more straightforward than any, I think, if I remember correctly, than anything in the original Fooly Cooly. Um, the plot is a little easier to follow. Uh, after that, though, the plot turns into the original Fooly Cooly, which is to say a lot of shit happens. A lot of crazy stuff happens. Um, there's a lot of hilarious, funny moments. There's a lot of amazing action set pieces. But I have no clue what happened. What, like, if it, you asked me to describe the events of the show, the original Fooly Cooly or this one, I could not do that. I, I looked up the Wikipedia after this to to see if I could describe the to figure out if I followed the actual events, and I don't think I really did. Um, could I try to try to explain? I think I sort of get what what's going that, on here. But part of me is okay is a little more okay with that because I kind of see it. I, I'm a little yeah. I'm a little more comfortable just sort of absorbing it passively uh, now and enjoying it for what it is, rather than really. I mean, do do I really need to get into like the nitty gritty plot points of everything i don't think so that's not i don't think that's at least to me that's not what fully cooly is about yeah that, that's what the beauty about it is you don't have to it doesn't have to make sense to you you don't have to know every little detail like some other stories that, that i would, are, i would even say it's like 
what I this is my interpretation of Fully Cooley is that it makes a mockery out of the people that like try to like look into every detail and try to figure out exactly what's going on. Like it's always in its heart of hearts. I think Fully Cooley is a parody of Evangelion. It's it's mm-hmm. like it's it's poking fun of that, and it's also poking fun of its fan base. So that always like and we're we're, we were that fan base at the time that we go on the internet and we try to look into uh what would actually happen and how end of ava actually correlates with the last two episodes of evangelion and how and what moment and this and that and like i think it uh, fully coolly was making fun of that it's like you idiot like you're trying to like figure this story out we're just making shit up you're you're the real like the joke's on you pal like and that's always kind of been to me like it's soul there's a giant iron it, that's the like a little yeah. ir- iron that's ironing out the the it's gonna iron the in humanity i guess yeah the, gonna iron out the, the the planet yeah Me- medical uh, mechanica medical, medical mechanica yeah and if so you each... ask me to explain what the hell the brain portals was or whatever <laughs> i would probably not be able to explain it but I think the larger symbols, like the idea of a giant iron that's trying to iron out all the wrinkles in the world, that's pretty, pretty interesting from that's a dope. from a philosophical. Is it? Do you, right? do you guys think that's supposed to be like a like representative of like a uh, like a dictatorship or communism or something? I think it's about conformity. Conformity, is, is, yeah, yeah, ironing out the wrinkles, you know, making everybody the same. That's that's what I think it's about. So. Um, Go ahead. No, I didn't have anything else. That was just, yeah. Like I said, it's not, I can't connect it to the broader plot because I don't, I can't really say I honestly know what the broader plot is. But I I think that's one of the things about Fully Cooley is, you know, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but part of it is about how these kids have these like amazing mechanical beings, human beings inside of them. Yeah, from the that portal. they're suppressing from for various reasons, and that's that is also very symbolic in a lot of senses. Which is to say, we all have you know these amazing special people within us, and maybe we're trying to you know suppress them for various social reasons or whatever. Uh, in order, do to you guys conform. remember the guy from the first one with the big eyebrows? I do not remember that specifically. He has paper eyebrows that have fun. he's like um. the FBI guy. Oh yeah, harassing Haruko, and or he's after he's harassing Naoto. Sorry, sorry about Haruko, and then Haruko hits him with the base, right? And his portal just opens up a weak little tiny little nubby, (laughs) and she's like, "Oh, it's so small," and it's like obviously like a sexual innuendo. So I think what the portals, the portals do summon medical mechanica, but I think you're only able to summon a portal if you have like high sexual something drive or something appeal so as everyone remembers who has seen the original foodie coolie the the robot that pops out of naoto's head is uh kanchi and i think he's the most interesting character in the show and he appears in the last two episodes of a foodie coolie progressive and they did it in a way that was interesting and i think they've they have just brought him on for me from the very get-go i think it would have been boring and they were just trying to do they were just trying to put a what's the term for it? star wars uh, force awakens did that where they oh, like like a a cameo appearance? Huh? yeah 
like a cameo. Yeah, I guess a cameo. Uh, um, but it did it in a really good way. Throwback. And yeah, yeah, that's a good word for a throwback. And in the end, Kanchi is the he's the real hero after all. The friend so that, along the way. So it sounds like we definitely have an overall favorable view of FLCL Progressive. I know there's one more out there, which we'll probably watch and review on the podcast at some point. FLCL Alternative, which is the sequel to Progressive, I believe. Or is it the sequel? No, it is not the sequel. Okay. I will not say what it is yet, because if I say anything else, things will happen. Okay. Well, I'm sure that I will equally not understand it <laughs> but i'm sure i will equally enjoy it because i again i highly recommend flcl and you know anyone else can can weigh in on this but i would recommend flcl progressive for anyone including people who are not into anime per se because i think yeah. it is very funny it, it 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 while it is hard to understand which might be a drawback from people who aren't into anime um, and also maybe not seeing the first FLCL. I don't know if it were really. I think that's the best part about it. I don't think you have to watch the original. Yeah, I know what's going on because in the original, nothing made sense. And in this one, nothing makes sense. Yeah. You don't have to watch the original. <laughs> yeah. You don't just... really have to watch the original. Um, breathtaking, art. breathtaking art, beautiful art. There were some scenes on this. Uh, where I gasped out loud at how beautiful stuff was or at how, uh, you know, it was uh, a character falling off the top of the medical mechanica building. Sorry if that's like a minor spoiler, but I flipped out when that happened. I was like, oh, my God, because of the way that it looked. It was so beautiful. Um, all, all around, I would I would give it a, a highly recommend uh, with the caveat that you should probably go in being comfortable with a lot of ambiguity um and not maybe not knowing what the hell happened and being okay with that and, and just sort of going along and enjoying it and, and laughing it requires a, a little bit or high oh god yes. or high yes <laughs> <laughs> um and uh just do you, do you guys have any sort of final thoughts on on flcl progressive any any recommendations or no i think that's pretty much covers it i uh, also give it a good thumbs up i mean it's some good uh some not uh, as you mentioned hard to follow things but overall it was a very enjoyable right anyone else final thoughts fully coolly progressive highly recommend it i I highly recommend it yeah i would highly Um, recommend it yeah it's it's it was also i don't know if you guys have known if you know the noticed this but it was a it was done by william street the people who do adult swim so Oh wow. oh wow! Yeah, yeah. Um, all right. Well, that's that's probably the end of the episode. Uh, we'll wrap it up with there. Thank you guys so much. Thank Eric. Thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me, Gus. Thanks for letting me host this episode. I hope I didn't totally let you down. <laughs> no, thank you for hosting on a pinch. You did a great job, uh-huh. Sam. Thanks so much for your thoughts on Fooly Cooly and everything else. Thank you for having me, Daniel. All right. And to our dear listeners, thank you very much for joining us and we will see you next week.